Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. We start with the new condo rules and regulations in BC. There have been big changes put in place here in BC. One of the big ones, those rental restrictions no longer allowed in BC. All condos available to be rented out. If the owner wants to rent them out, talk to Tony Giaventu about that in a moment here. Have a listen to Premier David Eby on why he wanted to do this. It is simply unacceptable that a British Columbian who is searching Craigslist for a place to rent can't find a home and somebody who owns a condo is not permitted to rent that home to that individual. All right, let's discuss now with my guest, Tony Giaventu, Executive Director, Condo Homeowners Association. It's always great to have him here. Tony, thank you for coming on today. Oh, good morning, Mike. It's a pleasure. Yeah, no, we've seen some pretty interesting consequences already out of Bill 44 between the rental and the age restriction changes. Okay, tell me about that. Let's talk about the rentals first. What kind of impact are you seeing there? Uh, well, there... Strangely enough, they're connected. You know, we, yeah. before 2010, pretty much a good majority of the stratas had rental bylaws that limited or restricted the number of rentals. Uh, and what was interesting with those is most of those buildings had 100% occupancy. So, it, yeah. the, you know, the vacancy issues weren't really um, uh, credible. But the other consequence that's happened is that in order to limit the number or the potential renters of families and young people, what we've seen is a bit of a concerning trend of the number of strata corporations who very quickly have approved bylaws that restrict the age of occupants to 55 and over. And I think we've actually lost more units um, as a result of this available for families and people under 55 than we had before this amendment took place. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so you see more stratas now going to 55-plus only. And, and, they're, yeah, and, they're, and they're doing that to try and, what, discourage renters? Is that right? No, no. What they're doing okay. is they're limiting who can actually rent in their building. So, yeah. you know, they, they, they pretty much have said, well, look, we're, you know, we're going to adopt a 55 and over bylaw for occupancy. And basically what that means is anybody else coming in who may be a tenant, they're going to have to meet the requirements of the 55 and over bylaw. And, you know, the amendments that were done under the um, Bill 44 also eliminated age restriction bylaws for adult only complexes. So things that were like 19 and over or 545 right. and over, no longer enforceable, only 55 and over. So, you know, we've been tracking across the province since this started and we're well over 100 strata corporations, some of them quite large, several hundred units who've already adopted um, within this six-week period, they've already had meetings and have already adopted 55 and over bylaws. 
Wow. So it's, okay. It's a pretty significant change already, but it comes with some consequences, right? Okay. I wonder if this is maybe an unintended consequence that David Eby hadn't thought about because, you know, as you mentioned, there were some stratas that had other age restrictions, like you had to be at least 19 years old to rent, like no kids allowed. And that he got rid of those, but you're still allowed to do a 55 plus restriction. And one of the reasons EB got rid of those younger age restrictions was he said, you know, he wanted to have as many condos available to rent out to young families. Let's have a listen to what he said specifically on that. Tony, I'll get your thoughts. So here's David EB on that. I was contacted in my previous role as housing minister by a couple that uh, was pregnant. They were expecting a child and they could not believe that the law in British Columbia would allow for them to be evicted from their home because they decided to start a family. Okay, but if you have more stratas now adopting a 55-plus ruling, that sounds like the opposite of what he's trying to achieve here, Tony. Your thoughts? Yeah, I hate. I really hate to say it, but unfortunately the consequences of this might be we've pushed many more units into the 55-plus bracket. And, and, you know, the... The exemption, when a, when a strata corporation adopts a new 55-plus bylaw uh, for occupancy, all of the people who are residing in the building, they need to be residents in the building at the time the bylaw is passed, not when it's filed in land titles and becomes enforceable, but at the time it's passed, um, those individuals are exempt. So we still have the same problem. So if a strata says, look, well, we're going to just adopt a 55 and over bylaw, we're going to, you know, the people in the building are exempt. That's fine. But under existing buildings that have no age restriction bylaws, where you have young people who are, or, or families who are still going to have more children, or they're going to adopt children, um, they're going to be back into the same situation all over again. So, you know, we'll monitor it closely, but but the trend to move to a significant number of stratas with a retirement age 55 plus bylaws is certainly out there on the market. Wow. Okay. Very interesting. Speaking to Tony Giaventu, Condo Homeowners Association. Tony, let me ask you about um, Airbnb right now, because I know that's a, of concern to a lot of people too. Are a lot of um, condos and stratas, are, can you legally put, list them on Airbnb? Strata corporations, this is one of the steps that the government took a number of years ago that was really healthy. Strata corporations can prohibit Airbnb. So they would need a bylaw that prohibits short-term accommodations. Uh, And they should set a definition of what those short-term accommodations look like within their bylaw. Uh, But but essentially, 30 days or less is is the starting place for where we have short-term accommodations. The penalty for um, using your unit in those circumstances is $1,000 a day if the bylaws are amendment, amended. So that's a pretty significant penalty and it's not worth violating an Airbnb bylaw. The challenge we have is the significant number of buildings who don't have Airbnb restrictions and the number of units that have been lost from accommodation and housing to Airbnb, it really needs to have a, a very close look because we also have a problem with organized crime and money laundering happening through um, uh, management or consortiums who are using rental units for Airbnbs. And on the surface, they appear to be rental units, but you look closely and they're actually Airbnbs. And so it's a bigger Mm. problem that really needs a much closer look. All right. Talking condo rules and regulations with my guest, Tony Giaventu.
What about this no rentals rule uh, in BC, the rental restrictions that have been brought in? Phone me on that now. All condos available to be rented out now if the owner wants to rent it out. Do you like that system? Some stratas don't like it. They wanted to keep the old system where you could have no rentals allowed in the building. Please call me and let me know what you think about that. 604 280 9898. How about Airbnbs and in, in condos and stratas? Do you have any where you live? Let me know. 604 280 9898. Star 9898 on your cell. Let's go to your calls. Hillary on the line in Delta. Hi, Hillary. Go ahead. Hi. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. So what, um, I actually don't have an opinion around the new rental changes because they're kind of band-aids and an already broken system, in my opinion. Um, I just, I, I don't, I think it's the Airbnb platforms that have caused the problems because when you monetize a real estate investment, you're, 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 you're putting it into a, a financial asset as opposed to a home for people to live in. So... That's one thing. And the other thing is in other, in Europe, certain European countries, as a renter, you have the right to, when you start a rental contract, to keep that for five years. That's just law. So it gives you a place of security and a home. So those are my thoughts. Hillary, thank you very much for the call. Would you say, Tony, that Airbnbs in, in some stratas are a big problem? They cause trouble? Uh, yeah, they are. Uh, they, um, we've seen Airbnb used as a security access gateway to buildings where um, small groups or individuals have rented Airbnbs. They get um, access passes, FOBs, whatever, to get into buildings where they have they've conducted a number of B&Es, gone through people's storage lockers. You know, the Vancouver City Police have addressed this a few times. Um, most I, I'm, you know, when it comes to renters, 99.9% of the tenants are great. Um, sure. But it's, um, you know, and they take an active light, role in their stratas. The, uh, many of them are long-term tenants. Uh, and the app even makes a provision for people to um, represent the landlord and sit on strata council and to play an active role in the communities. And they do that. Uh, the difficulty that we have with Airbnbs is the transiency. Um, you know, don't, don't link tenants with short-term rentals because tenants are are um, uh, definitely a well-performing community. But the short-term rentals, um, there's a significant number of security problems that occur from um, the Airbnb in um, Strata Corporations. Keep calling me on the open line. Star 9898 is the number on your cell. Barb in Surrey. Hi, Barb. Go ahead. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm on a, a small uh, building, and we were allowing uh, rentals and children um, restricted number of rentals, but it was working fine. Um, we're currently writing up a bylaw about short-term rentals. One of the other issues I was wondering about, David Eby kept m- mentioning a certain number of, uh, I guess, people that were getting the um, exemption from the empty home tax because they said they couldn't rent out their unit. Right. And proper, property companies, property management companies, were coming forward and saying that uh, those people didn't really want to rent it out. They were just getting this letter saying they couldn't so that they could avoid the tax. And I'm wondering if that's being looked into because that's fraud. Let me, ask, let me ask Tony about that. Yeah, because David Eby did justify these rental reforms, Tony, saying that, well, there are a lot of, there are a lot of condos sitting empty that, should, that could be rented out to someone. 
for a home and a place to live. Is that true? Uh, well, the actual number that was given was 2,900. Yeah. Uh, and almost all of them were investors. And if you really wanted a unit for investment, why were people simply not selling their units in a hot condo market and buying into all of the units that are available post-2010, of which don't have rental restrictions and renting them out? Why were they just sitting on them and holding them and leaving them vacant? There, there was, there's no economic sense in that from an investor point of view. So, you know, I think your caller is absolutely right that there were other reasons, other agendas why this was occurring. And it, I don't believe that anyone actually verified or followed up other than the um, claims that people made with respect to the exemptions. Let's go to Steve in Richmond. Hi, Steve. Go ahead. Oh, yes. My question for Tony, uh, thank you, is um, I have a condo and it has a uh, bylaw where there's a six-month rental restriction. And I, I want to occupy it sometimes and I want to rent it sometimes, more than a week or a month, not interested in Airbnb. Is that a scenario where you think uh, the uh, new law will challenge the six-month rental as well? Because, there's, as you say, there's no definition of short-term rental. Any thoughts on that? So, no. you know, it's a really good point. So, so what I'm assuming is that the bylaw says it's a minimum of six months that it has to be rented. And I think that would probably have been a way that the Strata Corporation is trying to encourage people into long-term tenancies. What the enforceability of that is really going to be a bit up in the air until um, there's a decision through the tribunal or the human rights code, human rights tribunal, if there's something re- relating to family status or accommodation um, or through the courts. Um, but the, the definitions need to be um, fairly clear and justified. Um, there's also this interconnection with the Residential Tenancy Act. Um, you know, once we're at a 30-day occupancy and longer, we start to get into tenancy agreements. And even so as a right. landlord, um, if you tried renting your unit out, um, or if you rented your unit out, you said, well, look, I only want to do six months, okay. but at the end of six months, the tenant wants to stay. You might be stuck under a tenancy uh, requirement under the Residential okay. Tenancy Act. Tony, thank you for your time today, as always. Mike, pleasure. All right, here we go now into the wild for an unusual wildlife encounter Now, a lot of city dwellers have wildlife living around them. In my neighborhood, there are black-tailed deer wandering around. We've got raccoons. We've got the occasional skunk. Usually no problems, no troubles. But occasionally there are conflicts. Now, my next guest has a story to tell how he was attacked by an owl. I'm very pleased to welcome Dan Barton to the show. Dan, thanks a lot for coming on today. Mike, thanks for having me. Okay, Dan, you got to tell me this story now. So you were out for a jog, right? When did this happen? Yeah, this was yesterday morning. I was out for a jog about uh, 7 o'clock, so it was still dark. And I was running along Dallas Road here in Victoria. Yeah. And coming up uh, along Beacon Hill Park, and I hit what I thought was some brambles or a branch or something like that. Yeah. And it's dark out, so I couldn't really see. So I take a look around. There's nothing around me. And sure enough, I, I catch out of the corner of my eye an owl kind of land on a branch and look back at me. And that's when it hit me that the owl had kind of come down and tried to grab my head. Wow. Were you wearing like um, like a headlamp or anything to go running along in the dark there? No, I wasn't wearing a headlamp, uh, okay. but I was wearing a little bit of a toque. 
And okay. immediately after it happened, I kind of reached my hand under my toque because it was quite painful because uh, obviously the talons had kind of come into to my head there. And uh, I could see some blood on my hand, on my hand. So I thought I better wait until the next uh, runner or walker comes by so I can check, see if I'm okay. Um, so I'm waiting for a couple minutes and kind of laughing about the whole situation. And another runner comes around the corner. And sure enough, I hear her shriek. And uh, I didn't see it, but the owl had come down and grabbed her hat and her headlamp and, and taken it off into the bushes. Really? Oh, wow. Came down and actually grabbed her hat right off of her and her, and her headlamp, too. And her headlamp, yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. This was, so this drew blood. This, this owl cut you. You were bleeding. This is, yeah, so it was actually quite, I had several lacerations kind of around it, my ear and, and the top of my head. Whoa. I had to go get a tetanus shot after that one. Oh, really? Wow. What was that like? I didn't think it was going to be too bad, but I actually had a pretty bad fever as a reaction to it the last uh, the last uh, 24 hours or so. Why, why did they recommend a tetanus shot? So apparently because they, uh, it's not that the owls have tetanus, but it's because they go into the soil and the soil could have the tetanus in it. Oh wow! That's part of the uh, the reasoning behind it. Okay, did you get a you got a look at this owl? Right, was it big? I, I did. So there's two of them that were flying around in the uh, in the bushes there. Uh, they're quite large. I've I've since looked at some some photos, and I think it's probably a great horned owl. Yeah. Um, and I I I've since learned that uh, this is kind of their nesting season. So perhaps they were you know trying to protect their nest and and saw these runners coming through with. Um, some sort of uh, people coming through to attack. Wow, a great horned owl. That's an awesome bird. Like, I, I kind of like owls. I think they're really cool birds, and those ones in particular are really awesome looking, and they're pretty big, though, too. Yeah, what's funny about that is that, that the owls are my daughter's favorite animal. Uh, yeah. So she was delighted to hear this story oh, when, she was. when I got home. <laughs> Okay, and let's listen to now a lot of local bird uh Experts have weighed in on your experience here, Dan, and I think you're right. I think the situation here is you, it sounds like there were a pair of nesting owls there and maybe defending their nest, it sounds like. Let's have a listen to Anne Nightingale here from the Rocky Point Bird Observatory talking to Czech News in Victoria. Let's have a listen. We got that. Tim, you got that clip there? I'd say just about every year I hear stories of people ha having their caps stolen or uh, having their ponytails grabbed by owls as they, they jog along paths. People should just try and give the owls a bit of room in that particular area. Okay, so therefore in that particular area, as she mentioned, sounds like there's some nesting owls. Are you going to try to avoid that area now when you're jogging in the morning now, Dan? <laughs> I think uh, I think I might avoid that particular pass, um, but I was also warning other runners as they were coming into the uh, area on my way back. Um, so we'll uh, we'll try and avoid that area a little bit more. Uh, the other woman that you saw there, like she was shrieking after this owl came after her too. Did you were you able to speak to her at all? Yeah, I spoke with her because she was wondering what 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 it was and and what had happened. Um, so yeah, we stuck around uh, for a couple minutes and had a good chuckle about it, and both yeah. were surprised that this has never happened or, or we've never heard of this happening before. Okay, Dan, glad you're okay, man. Thanks for sharing the story today. Thanks. Appreciate it. 
All right, we're talking wildlife encounters. You heard my conversation there with Dan Barton, the Victoria jogger who was attacked and bloodied by a great horned owl yesterday. Let's go to your phone calls. Larry in Maple Ridge. Hi, Larry, go ahead. Hey, hi, thanks for taking the call. Yeah, I was helping a homeowner with a renovation out here, uh, out in the Albion area there, and his house backs onto a green belt. And he was saying how he always has the bears come up in his garden and stuff like that. And I go, well, geez, you got all these kids. He goes, oh, we just bring them in the house and watch. And I go, no, you should be scaring these guys away. So we're working away a couple of days ago gone by or whatever. We're working away. And he goes, oh, there's a bear in my yard, in my garden. And I go, oh, no, no. So I jumped through this window onto this low deck he had and start yelling at the bear and scare, scaring the bear. And I look over to the left, all of a sudden, the mama bear pops up out of the ravine, just comes flying straight at me. We didn't even break eye contact. I thought she was going to stop at the deck. She didn't. Jumped up onto it, slid straight up to me. I stepped to the side, picked up a lawn chair, held it between us. Our noses were maybe three feet apart from each other. The youngster scooted out behind her, back into the ravine, and she turned around and left. Oh Meanwhile, my what happened, God. though, when I saw the bear coming, I turned around to jump back through the window. The homeowner closed it on me and said, go to the kitchen door. Go to the kitchen door. Uh, yeah, no time to be afraid. Just, oh, just, my God. What was going through your mind there when that happened? Uh, well, it, it was strange. You didn't have a lot of time to think. I knew I shouldn't yeah. run because she'd catch me for sure. Yeah. I just stood my ground, tried to make myself bigger. And and that chair, if that chair hadn't have been there, she probably would have got me. But wow. uh, yeah, thank Te- thank goodness that was there. Scary, another man. time too, walking close to my house with my girls, yeah. and I can make the sound of a a, a bardell, and we heard them hooting around in the trees and stuff. So I was making some some owl noises there. The flip, there was two of them, and one of them came down about again three feet in front of us. My kids screamed. The owl shot up, clipped his wing off of the telephone wire, and then the other oh. one came shooting down over top of our heads. And, yeah, yeah there's a lot of wildlife out this way. There that, is. Larry, right. thank you for that. It's Larry in Maple Ridge. Wow. Talk about a hair-raising encounter with a bear. Glad you're okay. Dave in Kitsilano. Hi, Dave. Go ahead. Hey, Mike. I can't, I can't match that story. That was <laughs> yeah. incredible. <laughs> yeah. I, I was walking my dog in Pacific Spirit Park just up by UBC, and, you know, dusk, and they squirt. You know, we got regular, you know, raccoons and skunks and coyotes. But yeah. walking the dog, an owl just swooped right by us, and it was, like, incredible with the wingspan. Didn't touch us. Maybe was thinking about the dog, but that's the only time I've ever seen an owl in the wild was it just swooshed by us, and it was, like, silent. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, so it, what did it sort of maybe sort of buzzing you to sort of warn you off maybe? Yeah, I would say yeah. so. Or, you know, looking at the dog, but the dog was on a leash, right? So, yeah. you know, it was good. Man, oh, man. We're in this territory, and, you know, you got to be careful at night. Right, they will protect their nest. Thank you for that, Dave. I know what you mean about silent. I saw an owl swoop through my yard once, and I was amazed at how totally silent they are, you know. They're like silent assassins when they're hunting. But I didn't know these owls could be so aggressive. As we're finding out today, they can be. Heather in North Vancouver. Hi, Heather. Hi, good morning. I live up uh, just beneath the um, parking lot at Grouse, and we have resident bears. 
in the area, obviously. And one day this past July, I was in the garden uh, weeding, and I heard garbage bins going over. And so I got up and walked up a few stairs and looked, and there was a bear, very methodical, going between each of the garbage bins. Couldn't have cared less about the the regular garbage, but the uh, green organic he was very excited about. And I knew there was a couple of guys on the street working on a car. So I just stepped out onto the road and yelled that there was a bear. And this thing looked at me and just charged. Oh, no. I've never seen a 64-year-old lady run so fast <laughs> into, my, into my front door. And I watched, and he knocked over a huge pot with a tree in it, just as if it was nothing. Oh, my God. Terrifying. Wow. Yeah. That's how, were yeah. you really scared? I, I was terrified. My heart yeah. was pounding. I, needless to say, the next day I went and got bear spray. Bear spray. Good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Because oh, I have wow. a dog, which I walk, and I was not going to take any chances. Heather, thank you for sharing that story. Yeah, some of these the black bears, they can be aggressive, especially like that earlier caller said, if there's a cub around or whatever. But, yeah, unpredictable. Dave in White Rock. Hi, Dave. Go ahead. Oh, hey. Right on. Thanks. Um, listen, I Larry's bear story was just awesome i, I yeah. can't believe stuff like that but listen as far as the owls go uh you're the guest you had on saying he's not going to run the trail anymore just when he hits like i get routinely uh stalked by um owls when i run i run between three and five thirty every morning and it's all the time i love it and if, <laughs> if he's worried about getting attacked just tell him to run faster through that section just like Pretend he's finishing the last straightaway at the Olympics or something. Just change your training and, and don't let the owls tell you where to go, man. Yeah, okay. Thank you for that. Yeah, don't let the owls, I guess, boss you around to control your life, I guess. No need to go around, I guess, in fear of these owls. I'd like to do some early morning uh, running as well. I have to admit to you, I was looking over my head this morning. I was out in an early morning run this morning. I was if any owls buzzing around me. I didn't see any. Susan in North Vancouver. Hi, Susan. Hi, I live up near Cap View um, on Lillooet Road. There's a park there called Lillooet Park. About three years ago, on a sunny afternoon in the summertime, I was taking my two little shifus for a walk. I looked down at a bunch of blackberry bushes, and there was two big, huge black, I thought they were dogs. They were black bears at the blackberry bushes. Luckily, my dog happened to look up at the right time. So as soon as I saw the bears, I took off in one direction, and they took off in the other but it was a sunny afternoon in the summertime. And also, a few years before that, there was a black bear that crossed right across Lillooet Road, same conditions, sunny afternoon in the summertime. Somebody stopped me, said, don't go into that park. They actually pulled their car over to stop me. We just saw a bear run across the street. Thank you, Susan. Yeah, and the North Shore, boy, I'll tell you. You got some wildlife interface areas up there. There's a lot of bears around. Rod in Maple Ridge. Rod, you got like 30 seconds here. Yeah, my my buddy and I were fishing at uh, Kanaka Creek there in Maple Ridge a few years ago. And uh, as far as the bears go, uh, you're in their territory. You know, they're looking for the salmon, same as you are. So we were encountered by uh, a, a big black bear who would not back down. And it kind of gave us a little bit of a scare. Uh, made ourselves big. Didn't work. But the bottom line is we just wear big bear bells when we're walking through the bush. So that way he already knows you're coming, yeah. and he gets out of your way before you ever see him. Right. Thank you for that, Rod. Yeah, I've heard that too. 
Like I said earlier, when I was hiking up in the Yukon, I was wearing those bear bells, and I, some people were laughing at me saying, oh, that's not going to help you with a grizzly. Maybe it would help with a black bear, though. All right, let's talk about the gun control file in Canada now, the Justin Trudeau government's uh, ban on assault-style weapons, at least how, that's how the government describes them. The expanding banned list here now including some hunting, hunting rifles and shotguns. Unreal. And how much is this all going to cost? You know, the federal minister responsible said the other day, they're working on a buyback program. So all these banned firearms now that the government is adding to this lengthening list, you could sell them back to the government. Man, oh man, how much is that going to cost? That's got to be billions of dollars, isn't it? Let's check in with Rod Giltaka now, Canadian Coalition for Firearm Rights. Rod, thanks for coming on today. Thank you, Mike. Is there any estimate on how much this this buyback program would cost? Well, not the most recent version of it. If you remember, there was a there were several estimates floating around for the initial version, which involved probably around half a million firearms, and that was somewhere between one and four billion, depending on who you ask. So uh, <laughs> this uh, this version of it that would involve possibly up to fifty percent of all firearms in the country would be far beyond that, I would imagine. 50% of all firearms would be yeah. banned? Yeah. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Bas- virtually all semi-automatic firearms. We really don't know how many of there there are in the country. Um, you know, it, it could be in the order of millions of semi-autos. And then uh, there's a, a variety of bolt-action and single-shot rifles that are named in these two amendments to Bill yeah. C-21. And then, of course, the most concerning part is the language of variant. So anything that the RCMP later determines as kind of a, a descendant of any of these now prohibited firearms, they can, the RCMP themselves, the police, can make them prohibited as well. And they did that to 400 firearms last um, May 2020 when, uh, when there was another prohibition. They, they prohibited another 400 firearms in addition to the 1,500 that were prohibited based on their, their opinion that they were variants. Okay, this is going to cost Canadian taxpayers an unbelievable amount of money if this goes through. Like you said, billions of dollars. That could be the lowball estimate here because I'm starting to get deja vu on this thing, especially when you think back to the old long gun registry. Right? Yeah. Remember that? Remember that? How much they said that was going to cost what? 2 million bucks? Yeah, at the start. 2 million, so 1000 times <laughs> over. <laughs> oh, my God. Unbelievable. Let's go back into the Wayback Machine here, Rod. We're going to play some uh, historic audio here. Now, let's go back to the 1990s. Okay, so the, the long gun registry, as it was rolled out by the Jean Chrétien liberal government at the time, they said it would cost $2 million to register all long guns in the country. And then the, the price tag started to explode. And then they later, later government backed off on it. So this is why I'm getting deja vu, man. Like, you know, I hear about these buybacks. This is going to cost a fortune because you can just count on this going over budget. You just know it's going to happen. So let's listen to this. Now you're going to hear this. Is, you'll hear Alan Rock here, who was the justice minister at the time. We brought in the long gun registry. 
Then you'll also hear from Sheila Fraser, who was then the Auditor General, and Chrétien, who was then the Prime Minister. Have a listen to this. All that we're asking of firearms owners is to fill out two cards and mail them in. The predicted cost to taxpayers, $2 million, period. Cut to yesterday. And an updated prediction from Auditor General Sheila Fraser. And now will cost uh, significantly more than that, up to a billion dollars or more. Yes, it, there was cost overrun. It was more than we expected, but the system is in place, and it's a good system, and it's very good for Canadian citizens. <laughs> more, more than we expected? Yeah, I guess so. $2 million to over a billion. Rod, do you see any kind of historical parallels here? What's going on now? Well, of course, and another historical parallel, if you remember, Sheila Fraser came out with a report and determined because she was the Auditor General, and determined that the Liberal Party at the time misled Parliament on the out-of-control cost. They lied to Parliament, and that was, that was officially, um, officially declared by the Auditor General. So it, it's, uh, it's, it's all the same pattern, unfortunately. Speaking of Rod Giltaka, Canadian Coalition for Firearm Rights, and we're talking about the potential cost here for a federal gun buyback program here with all these these uh, banned firearms. Let me play another clip here for you, because this is one that I think there a lot of people get some misinformation. Maybe they don't understand the issue precisely. I think there's a lot of politics that goes on here. This is Justin Trudeau describing the assault weapon ban as the government calls it and why they're by why they're banning these these firearms so here's what trudeau had to say then i'll get your thoughts rod have a listen we are banning 1500 models and variants of these firearms by way of regulations these weapons were designed for one purpose and one purpose only to kill the largest number of people in the shortest amount of time you see, when he says that, and this is something he is a line he continues to use and repeat, that these are guns that are designed to kill the most number of people in the shortest amount of time. I think when people hear that, Rod, they think like, oh, this is, he's talking about like a machine gun. He's talking about like a, a fully automatic weapon. Like you, you press, you hold the, you hold the trigger down and it sprays bullets out. That's what it sounds like he's describing. But th- those are, those are banned already. You cannot buy a fully automatic weapon in Canada, right? Yeah, those are banned in 1977, and that right. is the only type of firearm that fits that description. But yet, and you listen to the drama, right? But yet, he's just and I, as you know, I'm not a fan of hyperbolic language. But he continues, obviously, to lie. But he continues to gaslight Canadians, and that's the frustrating part about this. Just he he accuses everyone around him of spreading misinformation. Yet, it's the the the, the inform, misinformation is coming from him. So. Just an example of the types of firearms that they're trying to ban in uh, Amendment G43, which is part of this Bill C-21, is the 1908 Brazilian Mauser. This is a bolt-action rifle that was that is over 100 years old. A bolt-action rifle. That's a hunting rifle. Yeah. And of course, all the variants. And any other bolt-action rifle can be banned as, uh, you know, as following the same description that he's made. So it's just... This is, it's, it's bizarre world, Mike, honestly. The Trudeau has said recently there's been a big pushback against these hunting rifles and shotguns that have been popped up on this list. And, and I think rightly so. And Trudeau has said, it's well, okay, we're going to review the list. We don't want to ban hunting firearms. That's not our intention. So we'll review it. 
So I don't know, like maybe he does back down and remove some of these firearms from this banned list. But I often wonder, too, like, I think maybe there's some deliberate politics going on. Like maybe there these these particular firearms, hunting firearms, were deliberately added to this list because they want to fight over it. They want the conservatives to oppose it. They want to debate over firearms in Canada because they know it's good politics for them, especially in urban ridings. But your thoughts? Well, I think that uh, that benefit is in decline um, because they've pushed mm. it too far. I mean, the, the Liberals are, you know, the quintessential boy that cried wolf. They're constantly, constantly whipping Canadians up, um, uh, you know, whipping them into a frenzy. And same thing over guns. You know, at the end of the day, licensed gun owners are not the reason why we have firearm-related violence in Canada. I mean, the, the, the Liberals have been, have been pushing gun control for, for seven years. And during that time, violent crime is up 32%. Gang violence is up 92%, essentially doubled. So the more gun control they're rolling out, it's having, I'm not going to say it's having the opposite effect, but, there's, but the opposite is happening. So I don't know. I'm just hoping that Canadians out there can, can finally get past this, start paying attention and realize that this is, this is, they're being gaslit by the Liberals. Talking about the federal firearms ban and the buyback program that's looming here with my guest, Rod Giltaka, Dave in Mission on the phone. Hi, Dave, go ahead. Hey, Mike. It's, uh, when I'm listening to Rod talk about how Trudeau is gaslighting people, all I have to do is listen is go back to yesterday when you had that MP on from the Liberal Party, and all yeah. he did was say that, that Trudeau never, ever says anything wrong. He doesn't lie about anything. That's how bad politics has got in this country now. And when you have people that won't stand up and actually call people out for lying, then we're in real trouble here. Be it on the gun, be it on the gun file or anything else this country needs to do. Okay, thank you for that. Well, I mean, you're going to get political spin and double talk no matter from, from every party. That's just, I think, kind of the nature of politics. On, on this particular gun file, though, I guess, you know, every time I hear Trudeau talk about these guns are designed to kill the most number of people in the shortest amount of time possible. I mean, Rod, can you explain to me, like, a, a semi-automatic rifle, how does that, can you basically explain how that works? You, you have to, it can only take a magazine with six bullets max, is that right? It's, it's five rounds maximum in Canada five. for center-fire semi-automatic rifles and shotguns. Right, five. So, okay, and yeah. you have to, and it requires a, a separate individual trigger pull for each round fired. That that's correct. These yeah. are the versions of firearms that are accept that the RCMP has determined are acceptable for the public to own for, you know, a hundred years basically in Canada, and they're they're designed for sports shooting and hunting. That that's that's yeah. what we've had. Right, right. So I mean, this is what this is what I find frustrating is because I I think some people believe out there that that automatic weapons are available in the country and they're not. Uh, Natalie in Port Coquitlam. Hi, Natalie. Go ahead. Hi, Mike. I one hundred percent agree with you. I mean, listen. So a lot of these guns on the street um, that they're referring to are rifles that the bad guys have turned into built into uh, automatic weapons. You know, um, semi-automatics or whatever. But you're right. The government or the, the, the parties, especially the Trudeau government, it's a tool in the tool chest and gearing up for the election campaign. And it's disgusting. It's disgusting because they're doing nothing. The domestic violence, suicide rates have increased. So is gun violence. I want to know what they're doing about that before they, they take away hunting rifles from farmers. <clears throat> 
Well, okay, thank you for that. Well, if, if, if a representative of the government was here right now, they would tell you that they are cracking down on organized crime. They are cracking down on uh, guns being smuggled across the border. Uh, Rod, wh- what do you think of that part of it? Like, you know, is the bigger problem guns coming in from the United States illegally? Well, the, the, yeah, the problem, yeah, when it comes to some, when it comes to the majority of firearms used in criminal uh, acts, they're, they're overwhelmingly import, illegally imported from the United States. But the problem is crime. The problem is violent crime. And if there were a, 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 someone from the liberal government here, they'd say, well, we've made this investment. They always talk about funding investments. That's yeah. all they can talk about on fighting crime. But yet you look at every funding announcement they've made, they almost, they very rarely even dole that money out. There's still money from the $347 million that Ralph Goodale announced six years ago that has not been allocated. So they cover up their failures by just saying, we're giving CBSA $400 million. Just It's always just about money. Yeah. Jack and Delta. Hi, Jack. Go ahead. Hi there, uh, Mike. Uh, the problem that I see, I mean, I, I, am, I am for, you know, getting rid of these crazy uh, assault rifles that are, you know, the AR-15 types, but... There are a bunch of innocent Canadians that are hunters and living not just in urban areas, and they're going to paintbrush those innocent Canadians with a kind of like a criminal paintbrush if they don't, uh, 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 you know, give in to the, the demands of this liberal government. And and that's what I feel this government keeps doing. Like, let's just get, you know, make an innocent Canadian guilty, just like they they wanted to. You know, why if, if they're going to go after criminals, why can't they freeze their bank accounts instead of just innocent Canadians? Why can't they really go after criminals? They can okay. get to regular folks. Okay, thank you for that. Okay, like the AR-15, I guess, is the most notorious firearm in this category of what the government describes as an assault weapon. This is a, a restricted firearm, Rod, correct? The AR-15, or it was before it was banned, right? Right. So you have to be, you have to be licensed to own it, which is about a six-month process. It, it's registered, yeah. so the government knows where they are. It can only be discharged at an approved shooting range. It has very strict storage requirements, like, and there's about ninety thousand in Canada. The air yeah, and you were not been a problem in Canada, right? And you all. are not allowed. You're not allowed to hunt with it. No, and there's right. no real reason other than politics, but because the AR-15 is equivalent to any, and I mean any, semi-automatic hunting rifle out there, it just looks a little crazier. And that's again, right here we are arguing about appearances and beliefs in you know within the public based on based on propaganda not on i mean it is a it is a scary looking weapon i mean it's got this sort of black you know short muzzle it's got that sort of pistol grip so it does look like a weapon it looks like a weapon of war like that's what it looks like like i take your point it functions the same as as any other like basic function of a semi-automatic rifle you could use for hunting but it just looks scary well, yeah, and I think we got to get back to um, uh, uh, an appropriate ideology in Canada, and, and it's probably personified in one question. Either something is true or it isn't. It, we're, we're continuing to follow it closely, to say the least. Rod, thank you for your time today. Thanks so much, Mike. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.